All, all my pastor friends, we were talking last night, I just said to them, you just have to draw boca, boca, boca every now and then, and people will love your preach today. <laughs> so friends, before we get into God's Word, I want to uh, invite all of you that are between the ages of 13 and 18 to make your way through to the glass doors on the left here. We've got a special pre, uh, preach prep for you with Israel, who's going to be ministering the Word of God to you. Parents, well done for bringing your teenagers along. Uh, let's encourage our teenagers as they go into their time uh, together, just spending time in God's Word, I believe God's going to transform their hearts and lives as, uh, as we trust Him to lead us today into all that He has uh, for us. So as they make their way, I want to start off by saying welcome and thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, what a privilege to be able to be launching our new series, Make Space. Make Space. I'm, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I, I remember a, f- a few years ago. I think it was in 2009, my wife and I had um, been married for about three years at the time. We had lived in a small two-bedroom flat. Uh, I had started my own little business, giving drum lessons and selling musical instruments. Uh, I I kid you not, at one point there were five drum kits in our house. They were stacked to the ceiling, literally. Um, I had a whole bunch of students coming through my, my, my house. My wife was working two jobs, and we were saving up to be able to do the trip of a lifetime, to be able to go across the pond to Australia, to go visit some of our friends and family there. And uh, we had saved up. We had lived very simply, and God, by His grace, provided for us to be able to make this trip. I remember back then, when we just got married, it's now coming up to 17 years ago. Um, Some of you young adults listen to this, it's possible. But our prayer was, Lord Jesus, please, Lord, the floodgates of heaven could open up over our lives. And we could earn a combined salary of 7,000 rand. We would be not only going to heaven, but we would be in heaven. (laughs) And I remember saving up for this this, um, you know, flight that we we're going to take, and we booked our tickets, and it was Ainsley's very first airplane flight, and it was going to be an international flight, and so we booked for her to sit at the, the window seat, and then I was like, okay, well, I'll sit next to her, you know, in the next seat, but in the way airplanes work is there's normally three seats, and so we sat down, we got ourselves all boarded, and our things in the different compartments, and uh, I was very excited because for a very long time, as the plane was being filled up, the seat next to me was open. And I was like, yes, God, favor is not fair. <laughs> I must be your favorite because I'm going to have all the space for this long 16, 17-hour flight that lies ahead. And so we sat, and it was, the plane was, I thought, yes, I saw those air hostesses getting ready, you know, they getting ready to close the doors. I'm like, yes, Lord, this is going to be great. And then they start wheeling uh, an old lady down the aisle in a wheelchair. And so she could walk, she was able-bodied, but she was a special needs passenger. And she came and sat next to us. And for the entire flight, I was stuck, literally stuck. First of all, this lady um, was not, uh, not the friendliest person and had, had flown quite a lot from what I could hear, but she could not stop herself from voicing her frustrations with the, the, the cabin crew who were just there to serve her. Um, you know, when the first meal got, got served and the drinks were flowing, 
she was ordering whiskeys, my man. She was hoying. And she was so upset with the fact that they weren't giving her the real bottles, but they had to every time go and pour her, her shots. And so, so these, these are the types of things that happen out there in, in, in airplanes, guys. Some of you Christian good, good uh, people, you know, this happens out there in the world. And so she, she was uh, drinking a lot, and, and we were stuck. And at some point, she kind of fell asleep. And now... I'm on this long-haul flight, and I am stuck. I cannot go anywhere. If I want to go somewhere, I need to wait for her to go, which isn't going to happen anytime soon. But now, those of us that know, you know, traveling and stuff, you need to move around, and then you also need to visit certain strategically placed, important places on airplanes. And so, at some point, the needs has got too great for me, and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to climb over the lady because I was, I was trapped. I was trapped inside of this seat. Couldn't move. I don't know about you. Maybe you feel like that right now in some circumstance of your life. A little bit like you are caged in. You just don't have space to move. And what I've realized is that when you and I find ourselves in a confined Place. Sometimes it, that confined place isn't physical. Sometimes it's in our minds. Sometimes it's in our hearts. Sometimes it's circumstances caused by others, and, but many times it's actually circumstances that we have led ourselves into. We've got ourselves trapped inside of this place. And this series we're going to be doing together for the next four weeks is going to help us to make some space. Are you ready to make some space this, this, uh, this month? You guys don't sound very excited. Are you ready to make some space for this month? Ah, there we go. I, I know some of you, you've, you've, you've lost your voice screaming at the TV last night. I think my wife and kids were thought, thought what is wrong with this guy? One, at one stage, I jumped up so high that I actually hit the floor. I was on the floor. And everyone was asking me, what happened? I was like, no, I was just helping. I was just, uh, just uh, checking something here, down here. <laughs> But in this series, we want to make sure that we can help one another to make space that we would be able to walk in all that God has called us to be. Now, the reality, friends, if I had to go down along the, uh, you know, around the room, is that for all of us, if you've ever experienced pressure, there's nothing like financial pressure. And often most of our struggles, most of our stress is money related. And I'm trusting that as we go on this journey in our life groups, we're going to have some very practical moments that you and I will be able to share in. Uh, our preaching, I'm hoping, is going to really empower us uh, to be able to take hold of more of what God has, especially in the area of finances. But more than that, in every part of our lives, I believe God wants us to make space uh, because He wants us to have mental space, spiritual space, financial space, so that we would be able to Make space for others to walk in more of what God has for them. Now, I want to ask you, what is your very first money memory? Any significant memory you have, maybe from growing up, you know, there's, there's a, something comes to mind, an incident, a, a particular situation, maybe a, a, a something happened in your life. Just quickly for a moment, think about what that memory is. What comes to mind when you think about your very first or most influential money memory. Because so much of the way we deal with money 
and the way we deal with people and the way we deal with God stems from different experiences we've had. And as you and I reflect, I'm trusting that God might bring to the fore for us something of what He would want to deal with in our hearts that our circumstances and the way we deal with things around us would change. Now, if I had to think of myself growing up, you wouldn't say it, but, um, you know, I was a very, very uh, wealthy, strapping young man. Not really. Grew up very average, middle class. Um, my parents, at one point, for probably most of my childhood and uh, teenage life, we lived in what would be determined or deemed as government-subsidized housing. We lived on the military base because my parents lived and worked for the military. And so there wasn't a lot of like, there wasn't a swimming pool in the backyard. I remember moving at one point, there was a major financial shift that happened in our family. And we went from this huge house, five bedrooms with a swimming pool and a lapa. We were keeping up with the Joneses. We moved. I'm so thankful to the Lord that I missed that move. I was away for the holiday working at my uncle's uh, restaurant and roadhouse, learning how to serve people, you know, waitering and different things like that. And I remember coming back from that holiday um, with my parents having moved, and they had a, we had a single garage, and all the stuff that we owned was piled inside of that. Literally, the door could just about close. So we had this major downscale that happened. But I think back at my life, and, and those moments I don't think really affected me in terms of my view of, of, of money, because I always found myself being quite content with what I had. I had the privilege of, like I said, working a job from early, an early age, so pocket money was never a problem. I didn't need to depend on my parents to give me pocket money because, well, there wasn't any pocket money to give. But there was a privilege and opportunity for me where I could learn and say, listen, even the little I have, let me be generous with it, let me enjoy it, and also if there was something I wanted, I could save up for it. Um, sometimes I found myself hiding my money in different places because, you know, I had siblings, you know. <laughs> Not saying anything about Mark there in America, hello Mark, but... Uh, but I, I strategically placed money in such a so well that I forgot where I put it. And then it was the best feeling ever when I would like open up something. Wow, check, yes, the money. Yes, I was looking. I, was, I didn't need the money now, but I found it. It's like amazing. And so much of my life was lived, and even my, the way I think about money was shaped by that kind of reality. I don't know what you, what's shaped your thinking around money, but I, I do know that God speaks about how we steward our money. And it's important that in our Christian walk, Jesus speaks about the whole man, every aspect of our lives. And as a church, you know, they often say, you know, stay away from, from politics, stay away from sex, stay away from money, because, you know, those things don't belong in the church. But last time I checked, those things affect our lives on a daily basis. We are confronted with decisions and values and things that are pushing in the opposite direction away from what God says and what God uh, wants us to live in. And so in this next series, we're going to be looking at that specifically. Now, I'd like for you to turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 25. The scriptures will be on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read from the ESV, unless it's obviously indicated there, the, the exact standard version. No, it's not. 
So when Jesus, when Jesus was, was writing the Bible then, that's, that's the, the version he was using. Um, now I'm joking, I'm joking with you guys. Um, the English Standard Version, <coughs> and we're going to read from verse 14 to 30. It's a very long passage, but I believe there's some nuggets here that God wants you and I to experience and come to know and, and actually embrace as we go. Verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also the one who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done. Anybody want to receive this kind of commendation from, from our master? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here are, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you, have, where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful or lazy um, servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I have not scattered seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine own to, with interest. So I take this talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For the one who has will be given more, and he, uh, and he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, this is like a, it's a bit of a challenging parable. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God. He's giving his listeners, you and I today, a picture of what the kingdom of God is about and how it works and how you and I, as servants or participants, whether we choose to follow Jesus or not, what it will be like for us as we enter into this kingdom. Now, the reality, friends, is that all of us, all, each and every one of us, will need to give an account for what God has given and entrusted to us. 
I think it's an important aspect to see. And the first thing I want to speak about, and that you and I need to realize in this, as we talk about what God entrusts to us, is that there's a very real reality of stewardship over ownership. I'm going to say this again. There is a difference between our stewardship over ownership. Many of us live our lives as if we own everything we have. Therefore, when somebody breaks in and steals from us, we feel pretty like hard done by. Or when we, when we are expected or maybe have the opportunity to, to be a, of a blessing to others, we feel like, oh man, I've got to measure these things up. How is this going to affect me? You know what a toddler, one of their first words they learn is what? Mine. So many believers, so many people live and walk around like immature toddlers. Mine, 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 mine. When we fail to recognize that everything, the breath I breathe, the energy that comes from my body, the resources, the time, the treasures, the talents that God has entrusted to me do not belong to me. They belong to God. Psalm chapter 50 verse 12, just to give you some context of this psalm, the Israelites are saying, but God, you know, we sacrificed bulls for you and we brought you, you know, drink offerings and wave offerings and grain offerings. We did all of these things and God says to them, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Everything belongs to God. There is nothing that you and I have that we could lay claim on. All of us are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Whether you have a lot in your mind or you have a perception that you have a little. I'm trusting that today all of us would be able to see that regardless of what we perceive we have, that in God's economy, it all belongs to Him. And when we honor Him with our time, our treasures, and our talents, when we give back to God what already belongs to Him, we see Him outwork some things in our lives to multiply and to surprise us in many different ways. I also want to just remind us that God is the one that empowers us to be able to generate wealth. Wealth of any kind. The fact that you can have a job today. Even, can I say, some of you in this room may, might at the moment, you are dependent upon government grants. Those realities, the fact that you're a citizen of this, God gives you the ability and has opened the opportunity for you to receive an income in whatever shape or form it may be. And so you and I need to recognize that it is He who empowers us. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, God is speaking. He tells the people of Israel, He says to them, You know what? You guys are going to enter into this promised land. You're going you're to plant vineyards. You're going to um, you know, let your, your flocks increase. You're going to build cities. You're going to grow in stature. You're going to have wealth. You're going to own land. And then you're going to forget about me. You're going to act like you own it. And then God says, no, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, 
For it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, and He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is today. Friends, that is the starting point. That's the launching pad. That's the foundation. Everything that you and I have belongs to God, and I'm trusting that you and I would see that God wants us to partner with Him. If we want to make some space in our lives, it begins by making space in our hearts and minds to realize, it's not mine, Lord, it's yours. Everything, not just my tithe, not just my, my little bit of time I give, not a little bit of, of what I, not some things, Lord, and other things are mine. No, all of it is yours, Lord, and I'm trusting you to do and to help me because God deposits his money with his servants. If we look at the context of this particular passage, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them their property. His property. God owns it all. It's his, and he entrusted it to us. Now, when we look at this parable, we need to see that obviously for Jesus' listeners or hearers at the time, these things meant some very specific things. We see that he gave to one five talents. The talents were, were a weight. It wasn't an amount. It was an, a weight in silver or gold. Five talents. Thank you, Standard Bank, for the illustration. Two talents, one talent. Each of these differ in their value because of their weight. Now, what does one talent, what did it equal? So, for the people of Palestine at the time, one denarius equaled one day's wage. But if you put it together into one talent... One talent equaled a year's worth, no, 20 years worth of wages. So what this master is saying, I'm entrusting to the one servant that we think, she, he got so little compared to everybody else. Actually, God says, I'm giving you, because for the people of, uh, of Palestine at the time, their life expectancy was much shorter than ours is today. So if you got enough money to last you a lifetime, one talent is enough money to last you a lifetime. Some of you are sitting here today. I want to say to you, your little bit that you're getting that's keeping you alive, hand to mouth perhaps, your hustling, the things you're having to do, God is saying, I've given you enough to last you your whole life. What are you doing with what I've entrusted to you? Because I can be like the one talent guy and go dig it away and do nothing about it or I could put it to work because it's possible. It's possible for us to walk in more of what God has for us. So if the one talent was 20 years, two talents is 40 years. There's some of these guys at maths, at least at school. Hey, So 40 years. So somebody in this room, you don't only have enough money to just sustain you for one lifetime for yourself. You actually could afford, and God, by God's grace, God has entrusted to you enough for two lifetimes of income. Now, there are people in the world today 
five talent people? How much does God entrust to them for at the beginning? 100 years worth of wealth, ability, ability to generate wealth. We know those people. We've heard of those people. We're going to hear of, about one of them. Billionaires, people that are like, man, you don't have to work. If you've got enough money to last you 100 years, you don't have to work anymore. But what I've realized with many five-talent people is they don't stop working. They are still working. They are still investing. They are still managing and multiplying and stewarding what God has entrusted to them. And so I want you to see this in perspective, friends. I think so much of our blockage towards our finances, our time, and our talents is linked to our perspective. And I'm here to say to you today, God has given each of us, if you feel like you're a one-talent person, I'm here to tell you you've got enough to last you a lifetime. And God says, Jesus says, if you're my children... Look at the sparrows. Look at the lilies. He takes care of all of them. God will guarantee us a food to eat, clothes on our backs. Anything over and above that is a blessing. And that's where the talents come in for me. I believe God wants to empower us that no matter what your economic situation is, you and I would be able to steward it well. Now, we need to also see that at least the master entrusts to each of them according to their ability. The pressure is off. So many times we begin to compare. Oh, just, I've only got two talents. I've got five talents. I've got one. I'm nothing. He's more. And then what, what does comparison do? Comparison breeds contempt. And when I'm content with what I like, ah, what's that? Ah, that's content. I diminish the value of what has been entrusted to me when I don't honor the gift that God has given me. And I'm trusting, I'm praying, I'm asking the Lord to help you and I to see that He has given us what we need according to our ability. And He's also going to give us an, call us to an account for what we have uh, been given. And so we need to understand again, friends, that it is a, about stewardship over ownership. Whether God gives you one, two, or five talents, in, whether it's in monetary form or in other ways, you and I are stewards of what He has entrusted to Him. Now, it's interesting. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's like surprising for me to see the response or the differing response of people, of these servants. What does the first servant do? In uh, Matthew 25, 16 to 17, it says, He who received the five talents went... Next week, next month, when, when, you know, when things were in place, when the markets were sorted, when economic situations were good, when, when things were in place for him to put it to work. No, it says, at once, immediately, friends. And he went and traded and made five more. So also the one who had the two. Friends, I believe that God wants you and I to begin to see the little bit that you have or the lot that you have. You and I need to put it to work at once, immediately. Now, we all love, we all love rags to riches stories. You know those stories? 
A person that was really poor came up of, out of nothing, rose up from the ashes and became successful. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite stories like that is of, of Donald Trump. Donald Trump, he came from nothing, from rags to riches, man. Like, he, he says the following about himself. He says that I began my career with a very small loan of $1 million from my father. It says that he, because he had to pay it back to his father with interest. Researchers actually show that he was a millionaire by the age of eight. He came out of nothing, friends. From nothing, he rose to where he is today. But it says that he continued to borrow $60 million from his father. Later on, if you look at justice for, for, you know, for inflation, etc., in the end, they estimate that he probably borrowed in excess of $400 million from his dad's company. And he hasn't paid the loads back yet. Because he's a clever businessman. Now, Donald Trump, in my mind, is, is a five-talent guy. He was given, from the beginning, more money than he would ever need. He wouldn't have to work. But if we look over his shoulder, good or bad, like him or not, I'm not advocating for him. He's just an example. But he's someone that took what was given to him and put it to work. Have you thought of and heard of maybe some one-talent people? Someone we, we saw yesterday on the field raising that um, cup was a man by the name of Sia Kuliti, our wonderful Springbok captain. Twice, can you believe it, lifting that trophy for the second time. And I mean, in 2019, they were a nothing team coming from nowhere. People didn't give him half a chance. But here's a man who was born in the township of Port Elizabeth, his mother was 16 when she gave birth to him. His father was in his last or final year of high school. He was raised by his mother who then died when he was, um, when he was 15. And he ended up living with his grandmother. For all intents and purposes, he's a no-talent person. Hey, nothing, no opportunities coming his way. But by God's grace, and I believe God's intervention and good people around him, he was discovered at the age of 12 at like a, a rugby tournament that was held in Mossel Bay, and he was sponsored, he was brought into the rugby program of Gray High School in Port Elizabeth. And from there, he was developed, eventually moved to Western Province, and as they say, almost the rest is history. I was amazed just looking at this past week, his wife um, was posting some things on, on uh, social media. And she's like, oh, it's been amazing being here in France for the last three months with our kids. You know, they had to go to school a little bit, adjust things, you know. Many of us look at that and go, yes, see us now, very nice. Eh? You, you're like saying, actually, see you later, you know. It's like, I'm on my way, I'm jet-setting, you know. But actually, friends, where did he start? Sia Kulisi was given a lifetime supply of what he needed but he put it to work, took the opportunities that came. So many people I know struggle to overcome their obstacles simply because when the opportunities come, oh, that's inconvenient. 
inconvenient. What do you mean I need to work hard? What, what do you mean I need to be on time? What do you mean? Oh, my word, young adults. Can you imagine doing something you don't like? Like, poof, my mind is blown. I thought God knew the plans he had for me. Plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Oh, my word, I can't believe I'm going to have to work. Sweat from my brow. Late nights, early mornings. But rather, some of us end up digging our talents away in the ground. Because it's too hard for us to do. Max, John Maxwell was asked this question. John, tell us, what is the secret to success? John, who's now in his 70s, he's written multiple, um, you know, probably 80 or 90 books. At, at any given time today, if you met John Maxwell, he will be promoting a book he's just finished. He'll be busy finishing a book that's about to be published. And he started the next book that he's going to publish. All at the three, and he's done that, he's been doing that since the age of 17. So people ask John, John, give me the, give me the says, secret, give me the secret. Five steps to success. You know, what's my connection? Hook me up with somebody. And John says the following, I, I'm, I'm going to give it, are you ready? Are you ready? Here's the secret. Self-discipline. Managing and mastering yourself, your wants, your needs. Not looking at how, what's mine and how I can enjoy more of me and what I can consume, and how, but rather, how can I leverage what is here, bring it under some discipline that I might be able to deliver a multiplication for when my master stands before me and gives, asks me to give an account, that I don't stand there going, oh, you know, Sorry, it's not a good day. Could you come tomorrow? But actually responding, because 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, fearful, excuseful, or lazy, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Friends, I'm talking to myself here because I have areas of my life that's not yielded to God, that's not yielded in self-discipline, where I give into my whims, give into my past mistakes and patterns of thinking, and then I have to remind myself, the spirit within me and the spirit within you, if you are a follower of Jesus, is that that would empower you with power, with love, and self-discipline. You and I can rise above what we might be experiencing. I'm trusting that you'll be encouraged by this. Now, when we look at this parable, we see a very, what feels like a very harsh response from the master, especially towards that servant who only uh, stewarded the one talent and actually didn't do anything about it. See, friends, each of them was given a bag. The bag, we so, are so consumed with the contents inside of the bag, instead of understanding that the bag is what contains, or the, the things inside contains, is by, contained by the bag. What does bag stand for? 
belief about God. The servants, their response was determined not by what was inside of the bag, but rather their belief about God and how they, if they yielded to Him, submitted to Him, as they, as they trusted Him, as they leaned not on their own understanding, but sought to please God with their lives, because of their belief of, in God, about God, it changed the outcome of their multiplication. I want to ask you, what is your belief about God in your circumstance right now? Specifically, can I say about your finances? Do you believe that God cannot increase it? Do you believe that you just don't have enough? And I know for many of us in this room, that can and is a reality. But I have seen that when I change my perspective, and I don't so focus on what's inside of the bag, but I rather look at the God who's given me what's inside of the bag. And I realize that this God is faithful. He is true. He is just. He will reward me and he will empower me because last time I checked, he gives to us according to our ability, which by implication means whether you have one talent or five, God knows what your ability is and he's going to expect back from you what he has entrusted to you. You don't have to try and make it happen by yourself. You have to be involved in, this, in the equation though. So I want to ask you, what is your belief about God? Because the servant with the one talent, he reveals his belief about God. He says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, that you reap where you didn't sow, and that you call to an account those that you have entrusted things to. So I was afraid. Again, spirit of fear. And then what, what does he do? He hides it away. But the other, other servants, they're all like, well, th this this master of mine, he actually multiplies where he goes. So I'm his servant. He's entrusted to me these things. So I'm going to trust God to multiply those things as well. Because God doesn't have favorites, friends. He has empowered us with what we need, when we need it, in order to accomplish what he has called us to. Now, the reality is, friends, God wants you and I to multiply, to increase that which he has entrusted to us. Now, the increase, any person that is, has got any amount of wealth here today, any person that you look at, you're like, wow, look, look, check that car, check the business they have, check the investments, check, oh, oh, you're going overseas again. Oh, you've got all this extra, every single person. I can point them out in this room. If I listen to their story, each and every one of them started with something. They were willing to put in the time, the effort, the energy. They were willing to surround themselves with others, asking questions, reading books, learning from others on how they could steward, manage, take care of that which was entrusted to them. And some of them, they started off with five talents, and they are on their way to making ten. Others on two, and they're on their way to making four. But there are many of you today, I want to encourage you. I've been looking at this church. Friends, I can see many of us in reality, 
We are one talent people. Even as a church, friends, so much of what we have was really just one talent. This building we're sitting in came off the back of one talent people. But one talent people that had the right perspective about who God was. Right belief about God. And as we come and we say, Lord, everything you've given me is yours. Everything I have is meant to be put to work for your glory. Lord, then I'm trusting that you would empower me. God wants you and I to be very intentional to fight off the desire for ownership. Nothing that we have, we own. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They could eat of all the fruit, but God said, there's one that's mine. And because she couldn't steward, but rather wanted to own, we ended up in the mess we're in. So much of many of us, you want to steward, but you rather choosing to own, begin to steward rather than own what belongs to God. I think second aspect of what we should look at if we're, ownership is, uh, stewardship is an important aspect, but then also we need to grow in being generous towards God. How are we generous towards God, friends? By giving. You know that you and I are most like God when we give? Because it says that Jesus, you know, God so loved the world that he gave. So when you and I practice Ongoing, intentional giving, financially, time, talents, treasures, all of those things, when we are outward focused, when we are blessing orientated, we are most like God. And I want us to, as a church, to be like Jesus in every way. And so I want to challenge you to go look at your budget, look at your time, look at your treasures, look at how you are managing what God has given you, and ask yourself the question, how am I doing in terms of my giving? The third aspect, friends, as we do that, I have just seen how God works. When we trust Him, when we honor Him, when we put things in the right place, we're generous towards Him, God empowers us to actually then experience supernatural blessing from places we never thought possible. I'll tell you one story just as I close. So Ainsley and I are, are leading uh, the church in Potchefstroom. This is towards the end of uh, 2019. The church's finances were really not in a great space. We're a small, dwindling congregation. We got there. It was mainly students, so you can guess how much money was coming out of students, you know. A couple of families. Uh, we had some savings, and we were eating into the savings every single month in order to pay bills and, and to, to just cover things. And we were under pressure. We were confined in our space. We didn't have space. And one day, Ainsley and I spoke, and, and we, we said, you know, I said to her, you know, what I, you know, I've been paying our salaries. I would pay a portion of my salary to myself, then pay my tithe back to the church, then I could get the rest of my salary. That's how I had to operate, because else there wasn't enough money. And we felt so convicted, because basically, who was the source? Who was going to make sure that I got all my money? Me. And so I also realized that I can't expect people that are in the congregation to be tithing 
giving sacrificially, honoring God, when you don't have any benefit of it, and I'm like, I'm kind of benefiting from my tithe, you know, because I get my salary, because I paid my tithe. And AZ and I spoke, and we said, no, what we're going to do, we're going to adjust our giving, and we've, we've continued to do this. So our tithe, personal tithe, does not go into City on Hill's account. The reason why is because of that reality. I don't want to have my salary paid for by my own money. Well, actually, God's money that is instilled to me, understand? And so we began to give our money towards the NCMI fund that does work out into, that's our covering, that's our, where, we, where we get our, where we're submitted and committed to. And you know what, friends? A shift happened in our finances. So much so, my, my car broke down, like the engine ceased, because I wasn't servicing my car, sorry to say. That's why, that's why it broke, because I wasn't taking care of it. I wasn't stewarding what God had entrusted to me. So the engine blew. It was going to be 38,000 rand to do that. Our, we couldn't buy a house in Poch. Even if we tried, there was no way we were ever going to be able to afford it. Houses in Poch are just too expensive. And then this miracle comes around for us to be able to buy a house. And a long story short, I don't know. Just don't tell the bank, but I couldn't afford that house. I couldn't. There was no way. But somehow they believed that I, I could. And I praise the Lord Jesus. So we buy this house. But it's the, it's the worst house in a really, really good area. Really, really good area. And if I had to say worst house, I'm not even going to, let me just say, they removed 16 or 13 cats from, from the premises before we moved in. Okay, so that'll just give you an idea of how dirty the place was. So there I am one day. I have no money. All of the money I had to be able to fix up the place had gone now into a deposit for the bond and all of those things. And there I am. And I'm ripping out carpets so much so that I get a hernia from it. I had to have an operation a year later. I'm sweating, working hard. I don't have any money to fix this place, but I'm going to have to do it because I need to move. So there we are, cleaning out. I'm there with the, with the helper, and we're busy working. And this man pitches up at the door, and he says to me, listen, he's a painter, and he needs some work. And I'm like, listen, I don't need painting. I don't, I don't have money for nothing. Just buy it, you know? So he goes, as, as I'm walking back to the house, I realize, yes, I need help. I'm not going to get this job done by myself. So I run back. I call the guy. I'm like, listen, I can give you like a day's wage, one day's wage. Just help me today because I'm overwhelmed. So he starts working. I quickly rush home to go fetch some stuff. I get home, and AZ says to me, somebody just paid some money into our account. It just says, Gareth Blessing. I don't know who that is. Thank you very much. I haven't been able to thank that person, but I don't know if they're here or where they are. But God provided for us enough money that I would be able to begin to fix up the place and be able to move in. Because this man that pitched up at my door, this stranger, happened to be a builder, plasterer, plumber, DIY guy. And he pissed up the next morning with three guys. They were knocking out doors, pulling out bars, taking tiles down. They were, and it cost us a fraction of what it was supposed to have costed. Because when friends, when we honor God, when we are obedient to what he's saying, I don't know what God's been speaking to you about your finances. I don't know how God's, what God's been stirring in your heart around your stewarding of your time, your talents, and your treasures. But what I do know is that when God speaks, 
we need to be like the servant with the five talents. Immediately. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And I want to trust us as a church that we would walk in more of what God has for us. In the coming years and months, and I, God's going to continue to do some miracles with us. But God wants us as a people to have space, to have margin, that we would be able to access more of what He has for us because He is faithful to complete the good work that He started. Even the little bit you might feel like you have, He's able to multiply that into what He has promised. Let's stand together. Friends, just as we, as we pray, I... I realize that many of us are in very different places. I don't know what your belief about God is like today. What's your bag like? What's holding your life right now? If you can not with all honesty and confidence say that you have put your trust in Jesus and that He holds everything He's entrusted, the breath you breathe, he is the Lord of your life. He is the Savior. He is the one that has granted you new life. If you cannot say that with all honesty, I want to ask you and invite you to come to the front that we would be able to pray with you and encourage you and help you to set you on this journey where you're no longer hiding what God has placed in you in the ground. Because friends, life without God ends up in the ground. In darkness, gnashing of teeth, separation from God. And I don't want any person to walk from this place without having the knowledge that they are one with God. They've been set free. They've been set on a new path with Him. If that's you today, can I ask you to come to the front? I know it might be a bold step, but I would love to be able to pray with you. If that's you today, make your way forward, please.